0: Right in your face! Welcome back to episode number Trey Zero. Steph Curry, Del Curry. Who else? else? Seth Curry. Seth Curry. (laughs) I think all of them are wearing number thirty. Maybe Seth Curry was wearing like number twenty-nine because he's poetic. But (laughs) number thirty, Del Curry, Steph Curry. Wait, no, not Del Curry. Who's the other Curry? Eddie Curry? Was he 30? There's no way
1: he was 30. No, nah, he wasn't 30. Imagine, no way.
0: imagine he was 30. No. He was after I, him. I don't really know off the dome uh, many more 30s, and I can't really use my laptop because it just broke. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty rattled, but <laughs> it is what it is.
1: My laptop's working fine.
0: Welcome back to the Fadeaway Podcast, episode number 30. Uh, as we cover the very last week of the Last Dance Jordan documentary, it's been a, it's been a sweet ride. I'm I'm not really sure. I'm happy to see you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on with you, bro?
1: Nothing, man. We got uh, PK with us. Yeah, I got the whitest one with me, aka <laughs> straight out of the Ukraine, aka <laughs> <laughs> okay, my brother. My brother's here to he join us in live in studio today to, uh, yeah. to watch. Yeah.
0: Yo, by the way, we need to make a correction because last episode I was telling people about Carlos Sainz and yeah. he actually just signed a new contract. Yes,
1: you're right. Yeah. So you're shout right.
0: out to Carlos Sainz driving for Ferrari now. Woo! And uh, who was in McLaren? Who's a McLaren? That, Ricardo, the new guy. Ricardo. Oh yeah, yeah Ricardo yeah. took a spot. Yeah, yeah, Ricardo came through uh, after a year with Renault. So shout out to Carlos Signs and Sainz. Does, does he ever believe in signs? Yeah, but uh, but let's get underway, man. There's a lot to uncover. I think this uh, the last two episodes were probably the most sentimental yeah. of the bunch. There was a lot of emotion around the surrounding a couple guys. I'm not. I'm not really gonna go into all the details now, but uh, but let's get it right into it, man. So let's uh, what what do they start with? They start. The last they they end with
1: the episode before they end with the I believe the Eastern Conference Finals between the Indiana Pacers and the Chicago Bulls in '98, and you know obviously that's the that's Chicago's last season, and the Pacers were a really good team, man. They had a bunch of really really good guys on their roster. Um, they say you know there's like Reggie Miller, Mark Jackson. Uh, Antonio Davis, um, Davis G- brothers, G- uh, Jalen Rose, Chris Mullin, who's like a hall of famer as well. So they had. You know, they had Fred Hoiberg too.
0: Oh, Freddie! Yeah, so I didn't know that.
1: Um, who is uh, the coach of? It's or, actually
0: weird for me that Jeff Hornacek was playing basketball against yeah, right? Jordan. Like it's so weird. Jeff is uh, Portland Trailblazers' current coach. Right. So, but I mean, they the Indiana
1: Pacers had a very very good team and they believed they were Rick good Smith. enough yeah they were, yeah. they believe they were good enough to beat the chicago bulls in that series and you know reggie miller goes into depth about how he felt you know what what he thought they could do and how and how strongly that and how strongly he felt that his team could win um and the reason why is cuz you know they had good players they were a very physical roster like mj was like you know every game I'd come out of there with a new scratch or a new bruise or a new whatever right mm. so they 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 knew how to play and and you know reggie miller was a killer and i think he's a more underrated kind of legend in his own right, where you know this guy game winning shots, this guy you know you know killer mentality. He had that mentality mm-hmm. too. But
0: he was Ray Allen before we had Ray Allen. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, and you know he you know that that team was really good, and and obviously we were watching knowing what the outcome of that series will be. But like when you look at how they broke it down and how and and the things that they showed. I was kind of like nail biting, like oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Like I know it's going to happen. I was like, holy, like how did the Bulls make it out of this series? Like it, right. it looked like such a hard fought series um, that year. Jordan also wins his fifth MVP, and so when you really take a look at that, it's like yo, this dude in his last year won MVP. How many more years could he have had?
0: It's actually incredible. It's uh, it's quite incredible to understand that this guy went into retirement off of an MVP season and a championship
1: and a Finals MVP season. Like, yeah, like so, like come on.
0: It's, it's it's almost not fair. It isn't, and it is I know he talks about it now. And when he was saying like it, it, it is agonizing to me that I left at such a high point in the game where I knew that I could still compete, that I could still win, and we could still run it back. It just I've never seen anything in pro sports where you three p and they blow up the team. Yeah, it, and it was like you repeated, then they begged you to have to run it back, then they ran it back and won it, and you still doubled down. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, we offered Phil to come back, but.
1: But, I mean, there's a whole bunch of controversy, which I, I think w- which we'll, we'll talk about in the next episode yeah, about, about so that team. Well. Yeah. Um, but, it, so we go from 98, and it takes us back to 97 finals as well, when he wins his fifth chip mm-hmm. against the Utah Jazz. And, you know, the biggest, I guess, chip on his shoulder was the fact that Karl Malone had won the MVP that season. And when I looked at his his season stats, pretty good stats, but... You know, it, it, it. I think it was kind of like one of those events where you can give every year to MJ, but they decided this year not to give it to MJ. Um, so he averaged twenty seven and seven and a half, or sorry, twenty seven and nine and well, I guess just under ten rebounds a game mm. that season, right? So it's not like he put up, you know, Scrubby numbers. Scrubby numbers. Obviously, he's an MVP caliber guy. But MJ that season put up twenty nine point six, five point five point nine rebounds and four point three assists. And this is ninety seven, yeah. This, this is, is the Carmelone yes.
0: Malone year, yeah. Uh, the first time they played Utah in the final,
1: yeah. So you know that team was a very strong team. They had a bunch of really good guys on that team. Obviously, you know, you know, everyone knows the tandem of John Stockton and Carmelone. Carmelone, mm-hmm. bro, he's second all time in points, man. Like this guy is no scrub by any means, mailman. The mailman, exactly. And you know, he, it,
0: it and you can tell he delivered. And yeah, he, w- and John Stockton, his teammate, was uh, is is assist leader all time. Yeah, exactly. So not a, not a bad tandem to go one and two with a point guard and a four, especially mm-hmm. back then. Yeah, oh,
1: not at all, yeah. bro. Come on. But and a it, lot
0: of pe- a lot of people think he's overrated though, Carl John Mulan. Stockton. Oh, um, it helps to have the best
1: one, of, I guess, the best passer of all time on yeah. your team. But this guy was skilled, man. He was big, he was athletic, he could run the floor like you. Oh, look he was
0: at- definitely good, but he didn't win like that. Yo, I, think, I think that's what knocks him. Like it's different, like. When you're a top two scorer all time and, like, the whole top six around you is all champions. It's tough. It's like, how did you get this far into being a scoring champ without winning a championship? MJ. It's like, what do you value more? But MJ had six and he ended up third on the list. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, first on the list. Different
1: era. But, you like, Karl Malone didn't win mostly because of MJ. Yeah. And they didn't really but have I'm, a good enough team when MJ left. He
0: stopped him twice. But no, oh yeah, okay. He stopped him twice. <laughs> sure, on.
1: fair. Um, but I mean, he couldn't. I'm like, you're right. I guess he couldn't. He couldn't get past Hakeem in those two off years. Hakeem Olajuwon in, in the Houston the Rockets. In the, yeah, right. Which is another, I guess, goat. But you we know, should,
0: we should do an in-depth on on Hakeem.
1: No one really knows about Hakeem. Not, not a lot. Of, the dream. I, I mean,
0: not a lot of people really know about Carl Malone either. That's a
1: big one too. And John Stockton. What I love about John Stockton actually is, in in the, he's like this like six foot one maybe we'll give him a white guy, like looks so innocent, like he looks like a common citizen. Mm-hmm. He's like, Yeah, everybody was scared of MJ, but like, yo, how could you play against the guy for scared of him and he was just like you could tell like the way he was explaining how he didn't fear MJ is actually true because he played like a, like a superstar. Yeah. But you like imagine this coming from legit a six foot one white guy who looks like he can't even play basketball. He
0: literally to me he's like like Jordan is to many other small forwards as pa- as um as Stockton is to Paxson and Steve Kerr. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Exactly. He's like the pinnacle of that guy. The pinnacle of the guard who's six foot, six foot one, hitting the big shots. But in, in his case, I think Stockton's a much better assist man.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's a much better assist man. He, he had a he had a very good all around game when it comes to, you know, being able to be a floor general, being able to shoot the ball, even you, you you see he was a good shooter. Um great in the pick and roll. Obviously we see that with him and Carmelo all the time. Mm-hmm. So that team was very well constructed to be able to beat the Bulls team. legendary coach, too, Jerry Sloan. Exactly. So they had all the tools, but bro, Jordan and the Bulls just like it's insane what they can do, man. They can, yeah. it's almost like they can just turn it on in a way, yeah. Right? He had
0: his uh, his little vendetta against uh Byron Russell,
1: yeah, exactly. So, I mean, go ahead, I mean, go ahead with that story if, 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 if you got so, it. So, I
0: mean, if if we're gonna get into that series, so the 1997. Season um, mm-hmm. That ended with uh, the, obviously the Bulls winning the championship and they faced uh, the Utah Jazz in, in the finals. And that yeah. was the Jazz's first finals trip ever. Uh, they had. Um, yeah, ever. Exactly. They had obviously Carl and John Stockton, like we were just saying, two also members of the 92 Dream Team, yep. including Stockton. And it was yep. actually funny because Stockton was the guy who could walk out of the hotel and be in public and with his family and nobody, nobody even know. knew who he was. <laughs> and he honestly talks about how great that was. He's like, yeah. I got to really enjoy both best of both worlds. Cause like I could go out in public and enjoy the scenery and travel and, yeah. you know, not be bugged, but I'm also on the court with, with the best team. players in, in the world and, and we're doing great things. So a uh, shout out to uh, John Stockton John there, Stockton. but Alleged. they, they did go up in the finals in 1997 against each other. Uh, Obviously, Jordan doesn't go to Game 7, and he doesn't lose finals, so we know where that went. He won in 6. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the series, he was uh, matched up against this guy, Byron, Brian, I guess, Brian's, Byron. I thought it was Byron, but Brian Russell. And uh, if you guys know anything about the shot, like the Jordan shot, um, this happened in, in Part 10, but it is a monumental shot that he hit against Utah. Mm. It was against Byron Russell where he gave him a little... Little love tap, little on the love butt. tap. Uh, but this this is game one now of the '97 finals. It's come down to I think it was a tie game, mm-hmm. uh, 80, 82s, and then Jordan had the ball, gives uh, Russell a little cross one 2 hits the shot right over him, <sighs> and he goes. Uh, I remember when I was visiting, uh, the, the Utah Jazz were facing Chicago, and he yeah. was in retirement, so he came went up, and he was like, I was, you know, just trying to say hi to Carl, trying to say hi to John, catch mm-hmm. up, you know. Uh, you know, see what's going on with these guys and then this Russell kid just comes up out of nowhere like hey man why'd you retire like I can guard you I can guard, you. I can guard your ass <laughs> and uh, and he's like okay well I don't know he's like Carl you better get this guy out yeah. my face like, I don't know. <laughs> you better tell him Carl <laughs> like, I don't know just some stupid rookie man don't even stress it and then uh, obviously you fast forward a few years and then the finals he just remembers it and he uses that as fuel and, and also another thing is because Carl Malone won the MVP that was Jordan's fuel it's like okay yeah, more you think fuel. This guy's the MVP. Okay, I'll I love show you. He, I love when he said, that. "Okay, yeah. <laughs> you, think, you think this guy's good? All right, let me just go in and win the chip." So uh, you got this. Okay, I got this. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's pretty wild. So that's sort of where his motivation came from uh, against Russell, and in that series he put up thirty two a game. I mean, Karl Malone was twenty three and ten or twenty four and ten.
1: Honestly, twenty four and ten. You got to do you, 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 you got to be better than that man. Yeah. And, and, I I agree. He
0: shot 60% from the free throw line, which is Ooh. terrible.
1: I think uh, they even interviewed at the, at the end of that first at the end of that first finals matchup. They're like, "Carl, like, you know, you didn't play up to par. Like, are you upset?" He's like, "No." He's like, "You know, I don't care about how you guys think I played or about your standards. I care about my standards and blah blah blah, all this stuff." Yeah. But like for an MVP, for a, you know, dream team, you know, for an All-Star, 24 and 10 is not going to especially against
0: MJ. Like, if he had put up 29 and 10, 30 and 10? And okay, Scotty, I understand. Scotty has the second option to put up 20 and 8. Yeah. you Come on. You got to come harder 10, than that. Like, you're telling me as as the number one option, you're getting four more points and two more rebounds than Scotty? Exactly. And, and Jordan put up 32, 7, and 6 off 46% shooting, mm-hmm. 32% from the three. I mean, considering the three was nev- not even a thing back then. Right. So, it's pretty incredible, man. Like. I know, I know. It sounds like a broken record because we sit here and every time we talk about his stats, it's like 35, <laughs> eight and 5. Bro, it's not easy, bro. No, and especially it's not in that easy. day. And, and and it like the crazy thing about him, and he says this too towards the end, but the fact that he kept progressing year in year, yeah. out, getting older, you know, being more less physical, more mental, mm-hmm. more you know intellectual with his game. Mm-hmm. But his productivity seems to be the same. It's insane. Always he always finds a way. Puts the team on his back. So that's that's pretty wild. But that was my major takeaway, sorry, sort of, from the finals. I well, well, I'm, any-
1: what I wanted to add is uh, I never knew that Paxson and Steve Kerr um, overlapped. overlapped for that one year, right? And, and Steve Kerr talks about, like, I always compared like, yo, like, that Paxson and that Kerr, like, literally interchangeable, same kind of guys on those two championship rosters. And Steve Kerr, you know, he talks about how Paxson basically took him under his wing. That one year, Paxson was on his way out and kind of taught Steve Kerr how to play with Mike, and you know we know how we 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 delved into last episode how Steve Kerr earns MJ's trust through practice and mm-hmm. through the fight and whatever, but you know MJ knew he was gonna have to rely on Steve Kerr just like he re- relied on Paxton, mm-hmm. and it was funny Steve Kerr's explaining that that one scene in 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 the last game in Game Six against um against uh, the the utah jazz and you know steve Kerr's like yeah when you give me the ball i'll be ready i'll be ready but mj's trying to be like more low-key about it saying yo like just be ready be ready because his cameras are all around or whatever and steve Kerr had no idea yeah um but it, what i really loved is just like in a way history repeats itself you know you you see mj do that with his first chip and you see mj do that again with his fifth and you know steve kerb essentially becomes the hero because of how jordan has evolved and has, how he's learned to trust his teammates so you know, and, and they talk about a little bit about almost not really the bond, but how, you know, MJ lost his father. Steve Kerr had lost his father at a young age. And they went into that whole emotional side and, and the story of Steve Kerr and how he came about and how, you know, like Steve Kerr was, was not supposed to be in this position. You know no, what I mean? And, and when you look at it, I just saw like a, a random like stat on Instagram. Steve Kerr is the first person in 50 years to win four titles in a row. After he three-peated with the Bulls, he went to the Spurs and they won there too. They won. Not that he's the main guy, but, like, yo, like, he's a pretty big piece on that Chicago Bulls team, and he, I'm sure he played an essential piece on that Spurs team that won the year after. So yep. He actually guy, won two with the Spurs
0: as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: And now he's won three with the Warriors as
0: a head coach. Yep. He's got only wins. Eight-time NBA champion, having won five titles as a player. Yeah. Uh, three with the Bulls, two with the Spurs, and then three with the Warriors as a head coach.
1: For a guy who did not even get recruited or looked at out of high school and was, like, got – one offer and took it right away because that was the only offer he got, ended up being an eight-time champion. What does
0: that remind you of? Somebody who didn't get recruited out of high school, jumped on the first offer they ever got. Dennis? Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Oh, Steph Curry. Yeah, exactly. Very, very good relation there too. Yeah, Yeah. Steph Curry. And who's his coach now? Obviously, Steve Steve Kerr. Kerr. So you see that full circle having somebody from that same upbringing. And obviously, Steph Curry is 30 times the player Steve Kerr ever, ever could have even imagined being. Uh, success aside, obviously we know Steve Kerr won, but Steph Curry is, a is guy? A right? the guy, superstar, right? Steve Kerr was never a superstar, but he hit big, big shots. Mm-hmm. He was poised, composed, and his form was beautiful. Like when they oh, were, yeah. There was over the last two episodes, there was a few games where they would, you know, it was like he was a spot up shooter. He catches it in
1: motion, rises up, beautiful jump shot.
0: He got a beautiful jump shot, and he was just ready to go. And I love the part. I think this was part time. I'm not going to get into it. we will get into the next episode, but I just I loved watching him. Um, his story Because I had no idea He was yeah. from Lebanon
1: Yeah like, Lebanese baby
0: Yeah Libnaniye, Libnani like, Of all Libnani. people Like Steve Kerr bro <laughs> Bro you such up his stats On thing It shows up a, a Lebanese flag Yeah Beirut So I <laughs> mean His his uh, father And the situation there Was very tragic It was yeah. like Two guys dressed up as, as students And they were actually gunmen Yeah It was during the Civil War mm-hmm. uh, So it was very very sad stuff And I know his mom Was also a professor At the same school At the time too Yeah mm-hmm. And, and I can't even like imagine being a guy who at that point you're in college, you're fighting for a professional career yeah. and you get a call from overseas at three in the morning that your father's being killed. killed. Yeah. Like, how do you continue on with your journey and, and not just continue on, but in his case, propelled yourself to that next level? Like, I don't know if I'd be able to. It's
1: tough. And that's
0: a, that's, to what, that's what separates
1: him from a lot of people as well. Like, like his, his mom, I guess, I, I think gets interviewed a bunch of times and she's like, you know, like. He just went even harder at basketball. Like, that was just what he used to, mm-hmm. to be his outlet keep himself, and keep like himself busy. Occupied, and, I guess. Exactly, and, right, and keep his mind off things. But, I mean, it works. And you see a lot of people, like, in sports in general, just become outlets for, for whatever. Like, people have whatever family problems or whatever it may be. Sports usually is the outlet. But from that, that you know, the the from that series, you see Steve Kerr really, really step up and, like, the shots he was hitting, was like like we were talking about, his, yeah. his shot is so pure. It was so nice to see, and it's so sick to watch.
0: I think being able to see his journey, um, it, it kind of takes away that surprise factor of when you actually realize that he's a champion because, to me, it seems like Seifker is the kind of guy who like soaks up info like a sponge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. Like, soaking up. like he, he was around a lot of greats. Obviously, he won a chip with. Popovich and Phil Jackson. So, two <laughs> of the best coaches ever. ever. Yeah. You know, some of the best coaches ever. And to have that, you know, insight and playing with, you know, players like Michael Jordan, players like Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. Like, there's so many guys in there that he was around that he got the chance to really soak up a lot of info from. And then mm. you look at him as a coach, and he reminds me of a, a lot of Phil Jackson. Like, his situation is extremely similar to that of Phil Jackson in terms of. Duck Collins was the guy like Mark Jackson was the guy. Mm. And then he takes them to the Eastern Conference Finals like Mark Jackson does. Yeah. And then, you know, they don't win, they come in and they both do the championship. So Mm. very similar route. And um I would have never guessed all that stuff for Steve Kerr, to be honest. PK
1: just showed me this, this just in from PK. Kerr attended Cairo American College in Egypt. The American Community School in Beirut, Lebanon, and the Palisades High School (now Palisades Charter High School) in Los Angeles. So this guy's been around. This guy, I'm claiming him as an Arab. Oh man, he he was born in he he was born in Beirut. It's done, bro. It's he's he's an Arab. He's not American. Uh, His his nationality is the flag says says it on the stats pages. So he's Arab.
0: So Cairo American College is located in Maadi. This guy went to school in Maadi. Steve Kerr went to school in Maadi. That is Uh, incredible, boys. That is incredible. Can you imagine, like, especially back in, in the 80s, 90s, like, seeing a white guy in the streets of Egypt? Like, <laughs> whoa.
1: And he's playing basketball? Like, <laughs>
0: even, like, I wonder uh, if he was at the time. Because like, that's a... It, I, has to be not, young. So it says he was born there and he went to a lot of school there. But his whole high school, college career was in the, in the States.
1: States. Probably early, very so early, I, early life. That's that why
0: there. I was a little bit confused about his life. But nonetheless, I mean, he made it to the pros and he was able to do some great things as a professional. So I can't... Um, take anything away from
1: him not at all um now moving on from steve kerr i think the other prominent figure that we were introduced to in the episode was gus Lett. and you know this story if he doesn't choke you up you might not be human um you know he is mj's longtime head of security Mm -hmm. uh he was you know he was in the chicago pd prior to you know he started against i guess from the bottom and rose his way up to a, a, a sergeant level or whatever it may be and then somehow became the head security for MJ. And what was nice to see was that that it wasn't just like oh like he, MJ really like he loved his security guys, you know? Because oh, like, yeah. he spends a lot of time with them. And you see them. They're always like chilling in the room two games before, two hours before the game. And he actually really get to, got to know them personally. And they became like his, he told me, he's, he says, sorry, he told me. I was like, you know him? <laughs> he told me personally, bro. Uh, but he says, like, you know, they became like my entourage. Like, they were my boys. They were kind of my go-to guys. And he loved Gus because Gus became that father-like figure for him when his father had passed away. And, you know, his Gus's wife had told a story when um, his father, when MJ's father passed away, Gus, it, Gus would get calls at 2 a.m. in the morning of MJ just crying, you know, and. And, and crying about his dad, so you get up and go right away, right away. And that's, dude, that's that's more than just security, right? Like at that point, like that's a really, really solid bond that they have. And you see that for Game Seven in that Pacers series in the in, in the Eastern Conference Finals in '98,
0: I believe it was '98. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it gets confusing. It gets you the yeah. timeline switch and everything. It's crazy. Um, but Gus comes back essentially from a leave of absence because he was diagnosed with cancer. He was doing and chemo, I believe. He's doing chemotherapy yeah. and. That was just another added edge. And it was what I loved about it was at the end when they win Game 7, he gets him the game ball and he gives it to Gus. And oh, like, after like, the saying cutest man to
0: the media that we're going uh, to win Game 7. Like He, he calls we're not it, losing.
1: wins it, tells Gus, we're flying you out to Utah because we need you, and gives him the game ball. Like That's some go-level stuff.
0: Bro. Yeah. So I found this here. So Let is uh, Gus's last name. So Let Wozniak and fellow Chicago police... Officer Clarence Travis. So Wozniak is the guy with the shrug. <laughs> I love that guy, bro. Yeah, so they were the most consistent members of Jordan's security team, and the star player trusted them so much that he asked them to quit their jobs at Chicago Stadium to work security firm when he left the NBA That's crazy. to pursue a baseball career in 1993. Nice. So the Bulls rehired them three years later when he returned to basketball. Of so. That was interesting, yeah. So they were working for the Chicago PD. They were doing part-time security yeah. at the United Center. That's where they met Jordan. I think he was saying when, when Jordan broke his foot, is when Gus was um, escorting him from the parking lot into the building. Uh, every time he entered into the building, yeah. so that's yeah. sort of how they built that relationship and bond. Mm. And then when he left for baseball, he said, "Come with me." Uh, I mean, bro, if. if if a multi millionaire athlete is telling me, Yo, be my personal security guard. Oh, buddy. I'm leaving everything. Oh, that's not even a question. I don't yeah. care how many years of Chicago PD work <laughs> I've done, like, I'm gonna get paid infinitely more money yeah. than I can ever imagine with them. Yeah. And I have the flexibility of being around Michael Jordan all the time. No, I'm and, courtside of every game, like it's amazing and the Gus is like he's not like a
1: young dude, but you I see know. him, he is the guy like actually walking Michael everywhere. Like yeah, we he literally his ha- he's behind him with his hand on him and he's just just not even Buddy. Just like put his arm out stiff arming yeah. everybody and i'm like yo this guy's i legit. think
0: i think the most humanizing aspect of, of gus personally was showing the footage of him after when he was in the building with his chemo treatment and you can tell mm-hmm. he was a lot more down he was yeah. a lot calmer quieter mm-hmm. like it was i think it was when they put the camera on him and it was towards the end of the game it was a close game yeah. and he looked so yeah. completely out of it like you know when you're at a place and you're like man i want to be anywhere but here like i want to get out of here so bad like Mm -hmm. he had that look on his face and he was he asked someone he's like can you repeat yourself like with the chemo i can't hear you properly yeah so you can see a lot of his deterioration happening Mm -hmm. and i think mj knew that as well and and his wife was even saying like mj was at home in the hospital yeah he paid it forward yeah um so i mean it's it's definitely an amazing relationship to see very father-like, and I think MJ even refers to him as like a, like a, a father figure. figure.
1: Yeah, he was a father figure for him, especially when he lost his father, right? So uh, you see, I, like it's almost like every single year, every single championship has an emotional story tied to it. You know, it's not always, you know, w- you know, fun and games. You know, MJ doesn't live this whole perfect lifestyle, and I think that's what this documentary has done a great job of: is showing how human. He is when we all think he's not human. Like, this guy's a star. He's a celebrity. We're like, oh, this guy lives the life. But this this documentary goes into detail on on, on how, you know, MJ speaks about fame, how he doesn't like the fame, how he's a private yeah. person and doesn't like opening up. And, you know, it, it just shows that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be the best basketball player in the world. You can be the best, literally the best, per- the best at your job in the world. Yeah. And you can still have, like small problems big problems doesn't matter you're still going through some stuff
0: yeah no absolutely and um, it's it's tough to see like I've always thought when I was watching this documentary that Jordan felt to me like a 60 year old guy in a 30 year old person's body mm. just in terms of his maturity his calmness his ability to answer questions under big moments like it, it's so hard to realize that at that time he was like 29 28 30 yeah. it's like man like this we're 26, 27 right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Jordan was a grown dude. Yeah. And he was spending a lot of time with these older guys, um, his security guys specifically. Mm-hmm. So he, he liked it. He said, you know, grabbing all the maturity and soaking it in from them. Mm-hmm. And it was just like he was so poised and, and professional yeah. that it's like just being in that system changed you as a player. Like yeah. whether, you know, he called them and Steve Kerr says he calls us overachievers mm-hmm. um, or probably refers to us as overachievers. But these guys are coming in, they're doing the maximum that they can do in their limited role and they're yeah. doing it really well. So, I mean, kudos to these guys. It's it's definitely it, what I've learned is it's tough to play with a guy like Michael. Oh, 100 uh, percent. Obviously, we know like not know, but we can understand that playing with a, you know, a superior athlete, there's a lot of pressure on you, especially. Okay, now I have the ball. I have to kind of make the shot. Gotta, I don't have a choice. So there's produce. there's that added pressure, but there's the accountability aspect of what they hold you to.
1: Yeah, and it, and I love how you say, like, Michael Jordan was a 60-year-old man in a 30-year-old bar. Like, he, he was far more mature than a 30-year-old athlete is today. You, you oh look at gosh. it, and it's not just the suits a that made him look man. mature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he's just far more mature, and, you know, he does still have like that joking side that you, you see in, like, the practice tapes, and you see him, like... You know, you know, you know, going back and forth with his teammates and stuff like that. And especially when he says shit, shit, you know, <laughs> every time he says that, like, you can see he or still has.
0: was it when he hit the half-court shot or something? And he's like, or when they were, like, all, like, shooting half-court shots and then he bangs, he's like, give me my money. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, you definitely see, like, shades of a child. Yeah. And then it's it also, yeah. like, whenever I personally see that, it opens my eyes. I'm like, damn, like, I've never seen this aspect of Michael Jordan before. The joking
1: side of it, yeah. yeah like they don't show that often, honestly. So and
0: playful, childish, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I keep going back between these two episodes. I'm just gonna watch one at a time. one at a time. That's the, Cause cause I mean, I, I we're, keep, we're done now, but yeah, yeah. I keep I keep like going. Well, I keep going back and forth. It gets a bit confusing, but uh, but no, absolutely, man. And and just the game seven against Indiana. I think that's where they ended the episode. Yeah. And uh, what a game. Just putting them away in in the last four minutes. I think it was the. Was it? What was the play? It was the, there was the one play that was like the turning moment? I think it was the Steve Kerr when they had the jump ball, the jump, ball, jump and ball, and the balls won it. Steve Kerr's hand, yeah, bangs a three, ties the game, and yeah. from there on it was just downhill. Like they yeah. didn't miss anything. Nope, and uh, just incredible. And I, I don't know, like how you muster up the motivation to continually dig yourselves up out of a hole after you've won your five championships. Like, it's how do you not just kick back and be like, man, we you know, won I five, take a year off, like. I don't care.
1: It also shows like how much the bounce of a ball makes a difference in the game. Like Steve, if that ball goes to to the Pacers, they could be down. The Bulls could be down five. Instead, the ball goes to the Bulls, and
0: and not Steve Kerr's hand. Yeah, exactly. In that position, so everything that happens is just, especially in the playoffs. And they even said it like Reggie Miller said it too in a game seven. You scrap your game plan. Yeah, exactly. Like there's no anything can change, anything can happen, Mm -hmm. and we understand that. So I mean, it's uh, it was incredible. I I loved episode nine and ten, but oh. episode nine was really good. Um, not too much info, but they did dive into a lot about like other other kind yeah. of information.
1: Another guy. It was a it was a very like emotional and sentimental episode from the regards of Steve Kerr and Gus. You know, they didn't really get into too much history, um, which is a nice change. But you know, like episode nine was fire. Episode all ten, I I loved like the documentary was really good. Um, I'm gonna watch not, it again for sure. And there's not many like documentaries you can go back and like, yeah, like every episode was good. Like for example, we watched that O.J. Simpson documentary, that ten-part series. We're like, yeah, this episode wasn't the greatest. It was whatever. Yeah, I didn't think there was an episode in this series where I was like, I yeah, don't they, like this. They episode They did
0: a good job, and I honestly think they could have gone longer. Had they like, oh, for I sure. Felt like some episodes they crammed a lot of information yeah. in, and they, the the constant back and forth on the timeline between '98 and '93. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that definitely could have been done a bit better. I think if they maybe had like twelve episodes that could have been cool but yeah nonetheless i mean the amount of information that they put in the amount of people they interviewed and and clips that they had like i love watching like the the clip the game clips through the personal cameras that aren't broadcasted, like they're like the last dance the last cameras, dance cameras are where so it's a like courtside view cameras like yeah. i love that and it's a whole different experience than when you watch the broadcast camera yeah exactly and it's like man like these guys were on the floor they were there and uh, I mean, it just captured a lot of great moments. And I can't again, I don't know if this is like a nine or 10, but there was the moment with Kerr on the bench before he hit the big shot. I think that was 10 where, where that was
1: I think that was nine because that was the game winner for the the Utah Jazz uh, fifth uh, the, the first finals matchup against the Utah Jazz. So the fifth, the fifth championship. Yeah, I that obviously was can't remember, but it was yeah. it
0: was definitely sick footage Think to just have him there. And he's like, Michael's like whispering him. Yeah, on the that's screen, what I'm he's
1: like, "Yeah, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Yeah. You give me the ball, I'll be ready."
0: And <laughs> nonetheless, I mean, he he came through and he hit that shot big yeah. time. So shout out to Steve Kerr, man. That was that was some dope episode. I don't know if you want to add anything else before we wrap it up.
1: But I, I can't wait till we do ten. Ten yeah. was really really good.
0: Ten is good. It's a great way to go out. Mm. I I mean, I wish the history had. Re- written itself a little bit differently right. i wish they had run it back and who knows what they would have won and who knows seven what who they knows? would have won if jordan didn't leave the game in 94 or 90 or whenever he left 93 yeah. so um i guess that wraps it up then for this week episode nine of the last dance episode 30 of the Fade Away season two uh and we'll be back at you guys later on this week with uh with episode number 10 uh which is the f- the last one of the last dance series mm-hmm. so Thank you guys so much for your feedback continually throughout this and any questions that you have sent us. Uh, Please continue to do so, and we will check you back later this week. Peace.